Hello and welcome back to Cover to Cover, where this time we're talking about crime fiction and in particular the Swedish TV crime series Verlander, which is set in a city in the south of Sweden and which brings to the screen the cases of a police inspector called Kurt Verlander. Now, let me make it crystal clear right from the outset that I'm talking about the original Swedish TV series filmed in Sweden between the year 2005 and the year 2013, and most definitely not about the UK adaptation in which Kenneth Branagh takes on the role of Kurt Verlander. I repeat, I am talking only about the original Swedish TV series with Krista Henriksen in the title role. But before we get on to Verlander itself, the series, I'd like to say a few words about crime fiction. Those two words cover an absolutely huge genre and absolutely massive production figures. If you search on Wikipedia, the list of best-selling fiction authors of all time... Agatha Christie comes in at number two, just behind or perhaps even co-equal with Shakespeare, with somewhere between two billion and four billion books sold. That's just to give you an indication of how vast and how significant this genre is. Actually, on that list of best-selling fiction authors, the first non-English speaking author is the Belgian writer Georges Simenon, another crime fiction writer, the author of the Maigri crime stories about a Parisian police detective or commissaire, as we say in French. Simenon wrote his stories between 1932 and 1975, and he is credited with selling something like 600 million books, which puts him in at number six on that famous list. And there is another continental European crime fiction writer, the Frenchman Frédéric Dard, who wrote the San Antonio Mysteries, who also appears in the top 40 with something like 250 million books sold. The figures are absolutely staggering. There's something like 16 or perhaps 17 or crime fiction authors in that list. It depends a bit how you classify them. One of the the last crime fiction writers to appear in that list is the American writer Patricia Cornwell, who scrapes in because she only has 100 million books sold to her credit. Now, of course, within this vast 
world of crime fiction, there are multiple subgenres. Perhaps the key one is detective fiction, which itself can be split into various families. The detective uh, may be an inspired amateur like Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot, or a medical examiner like Kay Scarbetta, who is the heroine of many of the Patricia Cornwell stories, or maybe a hard-bitten private detective working not just outside the police force, but perhaps even in competition or in conflict with the police force. Now, this version of detective fiction has a, a long history, particularly in the US, going back to the 1940s to writers like Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett. And these two writers created heroes, Philip Marlowe for Chandler, Sam Spade for Hamlet, who were tough, solitary, cynical, hard-drinking, hard-bitten. Then, of course, there is another major variant of det detective fiction where the detective is, in fact, a member of the police. In the UK, think of the Inspector Reba stories by Ian Rankin or think of Inspector Morse. And in mentioning Morse, we are already moving from the literary sphere of the books written by Colin Dexter to the domain of television, to the long-running and hugely successful TV series starring John Thor as Inspector Morse and Kevin Waitley as his sidekick, Lewis. And indeed, the Inspector Morse TV series was voted the greatest British crime drama of all time by readers of the Radio Times. And now, it seems to me that Morse is most definitely a figure in the Kurt Valander family tree. Both Morse and Valander are to some extent embittered and cynical. They are both solitary. They lead lonely lives. They're both huge fans of classical music, which they listen to mainly at home alone. Classical music providing a counterpoint of harmony, of beauty, to the horrors of the worlds that they frequent in their professional lives. Classical music is a kind of refuge, I suppose. And of course, both Morse and Valander drink too much alcohol. They both have poor diets. And while are both very easily and very often attracted to women and always hopeful of starting a new relationship. They are both essentially unlucky in love. Elsewhere in Europe, there are a host of other TV Police detectives, Commissario Montalbano from Italy, Inspector Derek from Germany. In France, there is Capitaine Laure Berthaud and her squad members in an excellent series called Engrenage. 
And of course, in the US, there's just too many candidates to mention. To take just two examples, if you go back to the 1970s, there is the Columbo TV series with Peter Falk, which was hugely popular at the time. And today, an Amazon series going into its seventh season is the series Bosch, which is based on the excellent novels by Michael Connolly about a Los Angeles police inspector called Harry Bosch. Now, this subgenre where the detective is a member of the police force and where there is focus on interrogation methods, investigation methods, where there are bodies in mortuaries, where there is forensic analysis, analysis of the trajectory of a bullet, for example. This particular subgenre is often referred to as police procedurals. But just to pursue a little on the genre as a whole, there's also, of course, the whodunit, and indeed the historical whodunit. For example, the Brother Cadfael stories written by the English writer Alice Peters, born one generation after Agatha Christie, and who in many ways followed in her footsteps, but took the story into a fresh and exciting historical context. Now, to me, this word whodunit is problematic. For me, as a reader, I don't know about you, but for me, if the focus of the story is purely on plot, on the question, who did it? Who committed the murder? Who was the perpetrator? And if the essence of the reader's journey is simply following a bunch of clues and plot twists, then I'm afraid I, for one, am not able to sustain any interest. For me, the test of any great novel, whether it be a crime novel or not, is characterization. And indeed, it, in my view, it's because of the superb TV character and the superb acting that TV shows such as Inspector Morse or Volanda reach the pinnacle of high art. So the term crime fiction covers an absolutely massive production of stories and films and TV shows in Europe, in America, in Asia, all around the world. And in terms of contrasts and similarities between Europe and America, a certain divide opens up quite early. Naturally, all successful investigators have to be smart and they have to be persistent. But the private eyes Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe created in the 1940s are quintessentially American, tough, tough talking with a penchant for the bottle, an eye for women, an eye for sexual opportunity. Guys who hang out in bars and in rough neighborhoods and are not afraid of a stoush. The most famous Sam Spade story, The Maltese Falcon, was published in 1930. And Raymond Chandler's 
story, Farewell, My Lovely, was published in 1940. Meanwhile, in 1939, Agatha Christie published, and then there were none, the most successful single crime story of all time. And even if the famous Hercule Poirot does not appear in that particular story, he is, of course, a crucial feature of her work as a whole. What's he like, Hercule Poirot, Agatha Christie's famous detective? He's meticulous, he's cerebral, he's fastidious, he's egocentric. He's an extremely self-controlled man with a small waxed moustache, rather vain. He occasionally travels in Death on the Nile. He travels as far as Egypt. But for the main part, he evolves in a very English upper-class world of drawing rooms and dinner parties and opera. He's very proud of his intellect, definitely a touch there of Gallic intellectual arrogance, as seen with British eyes. He's a confirmed bachelor, a man who does not really comprehend the world of sex and romance, and who is basically afraid of women. But in his pursuit of the truth, he is relentless, he is brilliant, and perhaps that explains, at least in part, his enduring success. Parole has clear moral values and a belief in the power of observation, of deduction, and indeed of empirical truth. And in a world of fake news, those moral values and that belief in empiricism can be attractive. Personally, I have never been a fan of those final scenes where the suspects, drawn together by the novelist, sit decorously and obediently while the mastermind detective unmasks their schemes and their deceptions and their motives. Frankly, it is all rather absurd. And of course, these stories have little to say about the society from which they emerge. So finally, after that long prelude, we come to the Scandinavian countries and to the subgenre of crime fiction, which has been called Scandinoir or Nordic Noir. Scandinoir or Nordic Noir emerges in Sweden in the mid-1960s with the writing team of Marge Choval and Per Valu. Apologies to Swedes for my poor pronunciation of those names. But these two friends who were journalists and avid readers and who later became lovers were absolutely unimpressed with the decorous artificiality of the upper-class Agatha Christie tradition and wanted instead to produce something realistic. And to them, part of being realistic was to take account of the society from which the crimes emanated, the society in which the protagonists moved. 
So in the mid-1960s, they began producing novels about a character called Inspector Beck. And that led to an extraordinary flowering of crime fiction writing throughout the Nordic countries. I'm not going to try to describe the range, the array of writing, authors from Norway, from Denmark, from Iceland, from Finland, even the, the Faroe Islands as well as Sweden. But you have titles like, obviously, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. You have the novels of Jor Nisbo. You have that chilling novel, Jar City, by the Icelandic writer Indriason, again, apologies to Icelanders for the pronunciation, and so on and so on and so on. It is a whole world to discover. Choval and Walu were influenced by the police procedurals of the American writer Ed McBain, who wrote a long series of novels starting in 1956 called The 87 Precinct Novels. And indeed, McBain is another writer who features in that list of the world's top-selling fiction authors. McBain has a big cast of detectives, Steve Carella, Maya Maya, Bert Kling, Cotton Hawes, and so on. And these men and women in the squad room and out on the streets go about finding the bad guys and the bad women and doing their best to keep the residents of Isla safe from harm. Now, these books undoubtedly influenced Choval and Walu, but in tonality and in intent, the Inspector Beck novels are vastly different. Preparing for this podcast, I reread an Ed McBain story called Hark, which was published relatively recently in 2004. And so therefore was clearly not a book that had any influence on the Swedish pair. And actually in rereading this, three things struck me. Number one, there's a, a sense of society in the McBain books. For example, McCain is alive to the racial tensions in American society, but really this sense of society goes no more than skin deep. Secondly, this novel, Hark, is extraordinarily artificial. The killer is a man who is wedded to anagrams. He's a criminal already known to the police from previous crimes as the deaf man because he has a hearing deficiency. And in this particular novel, he sends the police a series of taunting notes, signing himself Adam Fenn, F-E-N, Adam Fenn, because Adam Fenn is an anagram of deaf man. I mean, honestly... Many modern readers would be already closing the book at this point. The third thing that struck me is the sexual-slash-romantic optimism of the McBain book. I mean, the characters are regularly plagued by jealousy and suspicion about whether their lovers are genuinely faithful to them or whether they may be interested in somebody else and 
They do things such as follow them in the street and spy on them through cafe windows and so forth and so on. But for much of the rest of the time, they jump into bed with each other with great alacrity, with youthful joy and energy, and apparently no technical failures of any kind. Now, Chauval and Walu totally transformed this. They wanted realism. So they brought a genuine social analysis. They replaced the sexual optimism with sexual pessimism, I suppose you could say. And onto the head of their police inspector, their hero, Inspector Beck, they heaped family problems, a difficult daughter, marital issues, fatigue, illness, breathing problems, boring, long subway journeys, incredibly long work hours. And they were very conscious that people bear scars from their relationship history and that those scars can trigger events, attitudes and reactions years down the line. Those scars are included in the drama. Then in 1989, along came Henning Mankell. He had been living abroad for a number of years. He had already published some novels and some plays. And returning to Sweden, he was struck by the rise in xenophobia and the rise in racism in his native country with attacks on immigrants becoming a feature of newspaper reports. So with the example of Choval and Walu before him, he decided to use the crime fiction novel with police inspector Kurt Volander at the centre as a way of exploring some of the issues in Swedish society. Join us in the second episode as we focus squarely on the Valanda series itself and give me the opportunity to justify my claim that this Swedish television series represents a landmark achievement in European television culture. Mm-hmm. Thank you.